So the, the title of today's sermon is Follow the Leader, and uh, so that's why, you know, we, we were listening to the, Nathan did a good job listening to the voice of his wife, and uh, so that was, that was a good illustration for us as we get through today's study of, of uh, what's going on, okay? So would you guys pray with me as we get, get ready to study the Word of God? Father, we uh, come before you uh, just completely bankrupt of spiritual life in and of ourselves, Yet you offer to give us all that we need through your word, through Jesus Christ, who is the word incarnate. And Lord, if we were to lift our heart and eyes to you, you promise to speak to us. Lord, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But you promise to speak to us. And so we pray that your word uh, would just cut through the layers of preconceived notions and the way we think this world works and and instead be uh, just clear and 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 that we would understand what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going through the book of Exodus, learning how God redeems his people. God sets his people free. And uh, so last week, we were in the middle of chapter 23. We learned about the party, uh, basically how to celebrate God and how God set up a system of feasts for his people to celebrate him, to party and to rejoice. And, and we learned about the invitations, who he invited to his party. We learned about the supplies, how we could, they could trust him, and they would, they would have a Sabbath to, to be able to exercise that trust of him. We learned about the specific feasts and parties that he wanted them to hold, and we learned about some party fouls even at the end of it. Uh, this week, we move into the next part, which is chapter 23, verse 20 through 23. And uh, today we're going to learn that to be led by Jesus, to be led by Jesus, all you have to do is listen to the gospel moment by moment. But you say, hey, wait a second. We're in the book of Exodus. This is long before Jesus shows up in the world, but you're wrong. Jesus shows up today. Uh, He shows up many times in the Old Testament, many times in the book of Exodus. And we're going to see today is all about Jesus. And uh, so, we're going to see three promises that God gives us about Jesus and what Jesus will do in the rest of this chapter. We're only going to get through one of them today. We have a shorter study today, uh, so that, uh, but we're just going to get through one of these promises. The first promise is that he will lead, Jesus will lead. That's what we're going to study today. The next couple of weeks, we're going to study he will bless, how God's blessings happen with Jesus, and how he fights for us. So those are, those are the promises we're going to see as we get through the end of this chapter. So the first promise is he will lead, starting in verse 20. It says, behold, God is speaking, and he says, I will send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. What, a, what an amazing verse. It it's probably should be highlighted in your Bible if you got one. It, I will send an angel, he says. Now, do you guys notice in there that the word angel is capitalized? As you're, seeing, as you're reading your Bible, they capitalize that, that word and because they capitalize the pronouns that have to do with God himself. So we're going to see as we go through this that this angel is none other than Jesus Christ showing up in the Old Testament before he was born. This is Jesus showing up. So let's, let's kind of break, through, break down this verse here and see what we can draw out of it, what we can glean for us. For us. It says, first we just notice that God sends. God sends. Um, God is making a promise to send them help. 
He sees your need before you even know about your need. I think about that with, with your guys' story. You know, you had desires in your heart, you had needs that he was already making plans to fulfill before you even knew you had these needs. And, and I just find that your life is a very practical testimony that this is God's heart. He, he sends help. It's like he knows it's, he knows it's going to be needed, so he sends it. He prepares a deliverance before you even ask because he's a faithful, loving father. Oh, but the God of the Old Testament is such a meanie jerk face. Nope, he's not. He's so loving and kind. And this is his character time and time and time again. Now, there is judgment, and we'll see about that, but his character never changes. He's loving and kind, and he sends help to his people, Israel. Remember, his people, his children, Israel, right now, don't know how to do nothing. They just heard about the Ten Commandments, so they are certainly not doing anything right. But he still, as a faithful father, is going to prepare the way for them. Now, how many times has Elliot thanked you for all the love that you've showed him and all the, the, the work that you've done, right? He doesn't, right? He's not probably going to even until after he's a teenager. But it doesn't change the fact that your heart loves him, that a father's heart is to provide for his child even when his child is weak and can't do anything to repay. That's just our father's heart. He sends help. Secondly, we see that he sends an angel, right? So this word angel in Hebrew simply means a messenger, a messenger who, and a messenger is someone who carries the word. Like if a king sends a messenger, that the messenger doesn't speak of his own, he speaks what the king gave him to say, behold, hear ye, hear ye, you know, and, and he gives what the, thus says the king, right? Well, that's exactly what Jesus is. He is the word of God, that's his name in John chapter one, and he is this is Jesus. This is very clearly Jesus, as we're going to see all the evidence lines up to that. Okay? So he sends this angel. And then he says, he sends before you. That's another couple words we see in this verse. We see that lines up with what we see Jesus goes first. He leads the way. He's not that leader that's like, okay, we're going to go into battle. Ready? Go! And just lets everyone run out in front of him, right? No, he's like the Braveheart guy running out with the sword like first, right? That's his, his attitude is he is going to lead the way. God is sending this angel to lead the way for the people. And then he says a couple things that this angel, Jesus, is going to do for the people of Israel. And it says here that he's going to keep you in the way. He's going to keep you in the way. And we know from the New Testament that Jesus is able to keep you from falling. This is all pointing to the ministry that Jesus does. Are you guys scared that you'll fall someday? That you're going to fall so bad you're going to lose your salvation? That you're going to mess up? That you're going to screw up and God is going to someday be done with you? That is a very legitimate, real fear that many have and that I have had in my life. Is I am going to be so bad someday that God is going to lose patience with me? But the word of God says that he is there to keep you. He knows that you're going to mess up. He knows that you're going to fail, but yet he's going to keep you safe anyway. Now, does that mean you can, you can just 
reject Jesus and live any way that you want and still expect to go to heaven? No. The prerequisite for being kept by Jesus is, anyone know? Faith. Faith. We're going to see that. Faith. We're going to study this here today. Faith is the prerequisite for being in Christ, protected by him. Okay? You, you may mess up. You may have bad works. You may sin greatly. But as long as your heart trusts in Christ, he is going to pick you up like a good dad, and he's going to wash you off, and he's going to draw you near to himself, and you have nothing to worry about. And that's just the truth. That's what the freedom that we have in the gospel He keeps us in the way. The next thing we see is that he is able to bring you into the place which he has prepared. Okay, so now as we get into Exodus now, we've come out of Egypt. The the people of Israel, they didn't do anything to earn that. God came and sent Moses, rescued them with his great power and the 10 plagues and got them through the Red Sea and God's doing everything for them. Just like you guys are big goofballs, but follow me. And and, uh, and now he's telling them where he's going to send them, which is to the promised land. And we're going to see that that's going to be a theme that we're going to get into a lot as the, as the weeks progress here and we keep going, is getting to the promised land was the goal. It was the promised land, but notice it wasn't the reward land. It wasn't the paycheck land. Why do you think it's called the promised land and not the paycheck land? Because you don't earn it. You can't earn it. And what does the promised land represent to you and to me in in Denver in 2018 on June 3rd? The promised land represents the victorious Christian life. It doesn't represent heaven. The promised land never represents heaven in the Bible. That's very bad teaching because there's still battles and wars in the promised land. As the nation of Israel goes in, there's still you know, beasts and and evil people that need to be kicked out. So there's still battles, but it does represent a life of victory, a life of peace, the life that Jesus actually promised to every single one of his followers and disciples. That's what the promised land represents. It's It's not a paycheck land. It's a promised land. You don't get there by good deeds. You don't get there by works. You get there by faith. It's, a, it's not a reward. It's a gift. And we always have to remember that. The promised land is this life of victory and peace. So I got a question for you. Are you living in the promised land right now, Mr. Believer and Mrs. Believer in Jesus, follower of Jesus? Or are you in the desert? These guys are going to spend how long in the desert? 40 years of the, of the next future history of Israel that we're going to study. They're going to spend 40 years. Does anyone know how long it should have taken them to get to the promised land? Just a few days, maybe up to like two weeks, maybe three weeks at the absolute maximum is the, is the amount of time it should have taken just to walk up, you know, into the promised land. But they're going to take 40 years. 
How long does it take to learn how to follow Jesus once you become a Christian? It, it can seem like a long time. But the work God does in our hearts doesn't have to take forever. We can learn to put our trust in him. We can learn to follow him because the strength isn't something that we have to build up to. We got a guy, he's serving downstairs, and he's a weightlifter. Nathan's also a pretend weightlifter. And, and he builds up his strength, you know, for his lifting. And I'm obviously perfectly demonstrating this. Um, Weightlift, you know, he, he, he builds up. And it takes him years to put, you know, per, small percentages. And he spends hours of his time just investing for these really small returns, right? <laughs> So that, that time frame of growing by effort is, is, yeah, we know that if you're going to put efforts in, it's going to take a long time to make gains, to get them gains, right? But God says your gains, your, your growth at being a Christian is a gift, that he will do it for you. And in getting into the promised land, it's not dependent on how strong you are, but how much you'll receive victory from him. We're going to walk through this today. But my question for you is, are you in the promised land or are you in the desert? Are you dwelling in the promised land? In other words, could I describe your life as peace like a river? Oh. Do you have a continual victory over sin and temptation? I'm not saying do you never sin. I'm saying when you sin... Or in your daily life, could it be described as, yeah, I'm generally having victory over those things I used to struggle with. My life could be described as victory. Do you enjoy fellowship with God and God's children continually? Or do you go through times where you're distant from God and distant from God's people? Okay, One is promised land, having that fellowship. The other is deserts where you go through times of loneliness. I'm not really hearing from God. I'm not really speaking to God. And God's people are annoying. And going to church is lame. Okay, that's the desert. Oh, yeah, you might be a believer, but you're living in a desert existence. This place of victory, this promised land, is what God has for you guys today. It's promised you and prepared for you. Our verse says here, I'm going to take you to the place that I prepared for you. This is the place I want you to live in. In the New Testament, we hear he's prepared good works for us to walk in them. He's done the preparation for us. For most people, the answer is desert life. For most Christians, they're living in the desert, and that's just the reality of the situation. I'm more in the desert. I, my, I, when I think about how my spiritual life is, I think of dryness. That's the word that would describe it. Or fruitless, struggles, struggling, hopeless, tired, empty. What is the way out of this mess what is the way out of this desert did they need a map you know when they teach the wandering in the desert thing to little kids they always have them looking at a map with a question mark above their head like why are we lost in the desert they weren't lost they knew exactly where the promised land was 
They were faithless. They were scared to walk into it. So they wandered around the desert because they didn't trust in the Lord. We're going to see this taught many times over and over and over again. What is the way out of the desert? What is the way out of the wilderness? Well, it's either my way or it's God's way. It's either effort, which is my way, or surrender, which is God's way. It's either works, I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and get into that promised land and have the victorious life, or it's grace. I don't know exactly how this happened, but all of a sudden I'm living a life that God intended for me to live. It's either myself living or it's Jesus living. That's how this works. But if I do it my way, if I try to look at the map and, and what do I need to do, I have one result every time. And you guys probably know what that is. I fail. You guys with me? When we do it our way, we fail every time. Even if we were trying to do the right thing. Oh, I know the right things to do. But if we do it our way, we will fail. But if I let Jesus do it, This is how it's got to work. I have to fully listen to him, believing him, and trusting him. Nathan, what if if you had some really deep doubts that your wife loved you and and she was going to lead you into the lava pit we have right behind the church? (laughs) I know, that'd be crazy. If you doubted her, if you didn't listen to her, if you didn't believe her, you would not end up at the promised land of kissing, right? Our only way is to listen to the gospel. That is the voice Jesus uses. That is his message. That's the word of God. Those are his words, the gospel. I just say the gospel will unpack that in a minute. His words are what we must listen to. And if we don't, there will be consequences. You know, if you wouldn't have listened to her, you would have ended up kissing Ryan. And that would have been bad news for everybody involved. Nobody got time for that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9 says, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, these Israelites, and were destroyed by serpents. <gasps> what do you mean? Jesus will kill people with snakes? It happened. It's a big deal. Well, what am I supposed to do? Wait, wait, go back and read that again. What was I supposed to do? Don't tempt Christ, as some of them tempted him and and were destroyed by serpents. Hmm. Well, let's read our next verse, and let's keep going, and let's see what it's talking about. Verse 21. Beware of him. Who? This angel, who is Jesus. God says, beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Interesting, very interesting. This warning is very applicable to our lives today. Okay, this is a warning. Listen to Jesus. 
Listen to Jesus. What does Jesus speak? He speaks the gospel, the good news. Listen to Jesus. Abide in him and in his words, you could say. Let his words be the food and the drink to your soul every day. And then he says, he says here in verse 21, beware of him and obey his voice. Obey his voice. Obey his voice. In the Old Covenant, like what we're reading right here, what that meant was to follow all the rules. At least that's what the people took that. Okay, obey the voice of God. That means I got to keep all these Ten Commandments. I got to do it all right because those Ten Commandments are holy just like God is holy. But in the Old Covenant, how many people succeeded in doing that? A big fat zero. Everybody hold a zero up. That's our chance. Goose eggs, right? That's our chance of success for doing it Old Covenant style. So, Jesus, well, it's just like today. If I, if I want to live Old Covenant style today, no matter how hard I try, I will never measure up to, the, to his commands. I can't. I can't do everything I was told to do. But this is why we were given a new covenant. The old covenant says, do these things and live. Well, we can't do them, so we die. But there's a new covenant when Jesus came and he changed it all. And they asked Jesus in, in, uh, in the New Testament, some of his disciples and some of the Pharisees came and they said, Jesus, what do we do to do the works of God? Like, what do you think? Like, we've been doing these Ten Commandments forever. What do you think, Jesus, what we need to do? And Jesus said, you know what? I'm really changing everything. This is what you do to do the works of God. You believe in the one whom God sent. Who's that? Jesus. He's like, believe in me. That is all you have to do to do the works that make God happy. Jesus changed the game from keep all the rules to believe in me. He changed it from do all the things to watch me do all the things. Trust me. Believe in the one God sent. He says, look at me. Now that requires humility. We have to acknowledge that we can't keep the rules. That's the first thing. And faith, we have to trust him that he actually could keep the rules. So uh, Jesus completely changes this for us. But he says here, do not provoke him for he will not pardon your transgressions for my name is in him. Well, doesn't that seem weird? I mean, don't we talk about Jesus all the time being the one that forgives our sins? So why is he here? God saying he's not going to forgive your transgressions. Isn't this at odd with what we see about Jesus in the New Testament? I thought Jesus forgave everybody for everything. But actually, that's not true. That's not true. He forgives sins of anyone who asks, and he'll forgive anything, any sin. He will, that's true. But he will not allow you to get into the promised land your own way. That's what this is talking about. He can get you into the promised land, but he will not allow you to get into the promised land your way. It has to be 
His way. Remember that the promised land describes a life of peace and victory for a Christian. So if I ask you again, are you living in that promised land? And in your heart, the answer is, no, I'm not. Guess what? That's okay. God has not brought you in yet. But it's not okay to stay there. God says, I can get you in. But I will not allow you to get in your way. You must look at me. You must trust me and receive it from me. So if you're not in, the good news is you can still get in. You can live a life of victory. But you ha- the bad news is you have to acknowledge it's your fault that you haven't followed him. You have to acknowledge it's your bad. It's not him. You have trusted in self. That is the only biblical reason why we're not in the promised land as believers. We have decided it is, depends on me and how hard I try. It depends on me and how much I read the Bible, how much I pray, and how much I go to church, and how nice of a person I am, and that, depend, that will give me peace. That will do it for me. And God will wait, and he will withhold peace from you. He will keep you out of the promised land, and you're like, why do I have so much failure? Why do I have so much struggle and strife inside me? Why am I not happy? Why am I in all these desert places? And he'll say, let me know when you're done. Let me know when you're, when you're tired. Let me know when you'll stop striving and lift your eyes to me and receive the help that I want to give you. That's what's going on here. He sets up a very clear path and plan for the people of Israel to get into the promised land. Just like he sets up a very clear path for us, but for some reason, it's so hard for us to understand the way to victory is surrender. It's really hard because we grow up in America thinking that it's about how hard I try. It's about how much better I am than every other person. Instead of how wicked and and sinful I am, that I, I, I can only throw myself before Jesus and say, forgive me and help me, which he's willing to do. He's the hero of the story. He is the, the savior, not you and not me. There is no salvation outside of Christ and faith in Christ. Outside of the very simple way he's established of humility, confessing your need for him, faith, depending on him, calling out, reaching out for him. When I try to do things on my own, when I try to get better in my own efforts, when I determine to do more, to do better, and to dig down and search longer for the answer that I hope will finally deliver me from my sin and from my desert existence, that is straight rejection of the gospel. But wait, I was just at church and they were telling me it was about how hard I tried. And they were telling me that if I just give more and do more, and if they were telling me, why was that? They were wrong. We must know it is straight rejection of the gospel to trust in flesh. It's total disrespect for the work and message of Jesus. Basically, it's spitting in his face 
and ripping up his letter of promises and saying, I don't need you when I have me. Why would I need Jesus when I have me? I can do this if I have enough time. I can do this if I try harder. Or maybe there's just a little different solution, a different psychological trick or tool. It can't be the simple truth of the gospel that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And there is no way to the Father outside of him. That can't be it. I can't believe just that. There has to be more. And if I don't get my degree, and if I don't get this and that, and if I don't have all this, then I can't have... No. It's just rejecting the gospel. All we do as victorious Christians living in the promised land is believe what he said. That is all that we did. Yeah, go ask any person who you find that's living for Christ and that's, that's just living a victorious life and has peace and joy. Ask them, how did you get this way? And their answer will be this, some form of this. I don't know. I just, Jesus did it. God did it in me. God did it for me. It was a gift. Believing in Jesus is all that we need to do to be completely obedient to God. Um. You said, when I asked, why don't they go into the promised land, you said disobedience, and you were 100% correct, but I didn't want you to steal my thunder till right now. Way to go. (laughs) Believing in Jesus is obedience. He said, believe in me, and that's how you obey God. Believe in me. If we focus on believing in his sufficiency we will naturally fulfill all the law's commands. It's just that's what the word of God says. But if we focus on all the commands we need to fulfill, we will fail to measure up to any of them. Because that's not by the spirit. That's by the flesh. That's the absolute beauty of the gospel that we have, guys. It's free and it works as we lift our eyes to Jesus. It's amazing. The last thing it says in this verse is, my name is in him. I love this. That's, Jesus is the perfect representative of God and God's heart. He says, my name is in him. A name is what described the person, what defined the character. And so if you came in the name of a king, you came in his heart and his, his will and his power, everything that that king was, you coming in the name of it. Well, Jesus says, this angel is coming in the name of God. God says, my name is in him. And so the identity of this angel is bound up in the identity of God. He's not looking to establish his own reputation or his own identity. He isn't trying to make a name for himself. He fully trusts in God and he surrenders all thought of self in exchange for God's life and God's will. We find that Jesus always does that. Every time we see him as the angel, he is totally surrendered to the will of God. And then we see him come as a baby, totally surrendered to the will of God. We see him dying as a man, totally surrendered to the will of God. He is never worried about promotion. He is never worried about popularity. He is only worried about the surrender to the will of God. So why don't I do that? Because I am convinced somewhere in my heart that I need to make things happen. 
that I need to make a name for myself. And that's a part of my heart that must die, must be crucified with Christ. You guys with me on that? Right? This is one of the most amazing parts of the gospel for us too. Our identity was put to death on the cross before you became a believer. Your identity was in what you could do for yourself or where you came from. I come from money. You could say. I come, I'm part of this culture. I'm part of this race. I'm part of this society. And that was our identity. And look how hard I worked. Look at the tattoos I got. Look at what I made of myself. And that was our identity. And how many of us were happy with that identity? We aren't. It doesn't bring joy and happiness. So Christ says, I'll give you a real life. I'll show you what real joy is. I'll show you what it means to be really satisfied. But you have to die. You have to climb up on the cross and die to everything you thought you needed. And you have to instead believe the gospel. You are wicked and I love you. And I will replace your wickedness with my Holy Spirit. And I will implant it in you. Our identity is put to death on the cross. What we used to be, sinners, addicts, failures, it's all put to death on the cross. And when we're converted, the entire life of self is put to death and replaced with the life of Christ, which is given to us freely. And now... Our verse said his name was in him. Now his name is in us. What's the Holy Spirit's name? Right? The Holy Spirit, right? I don't know. Right? But it's, yes, God. The Holy Spirit is God. His identity is divinity. He is God. And so when you are given the Holy Spirit, your name, his name is in you. His character is planted into our hearts and we're only complete now. We only have peace now. We only have victory now when we surrender to believing what he made us, to believing the word of God, believing the gospel. That's the only time when we feel peace now because God will not allow his children, once they're converted, to go back to idols and have peace. So sorry, I know you used to go get high and that used to bring you peace, but God will never allow it to work again. There will be a, just a block that keeps it from, I know relationships and, and sex and power and manipulation, they all used to work. But God says, I will never again allow it to work because you're my child now. You have come to believe in Christ. I've, I've took that old life out of you. And you want to keep going back to it, but it's dead. It can't do anything for you anymore because it's dead. And so now the only life available to believers is the life of Christ. That's the only life even available to us. Why do we spend so much time looking for life in other places? Looking for joy in other things? The life of a Christian is looking unto Christ and believing the gospel. That's it. That's how it works. So, his name is planted in us. We surrender to his lead. 
that name, that character was planted in us, we reject the idols and all the other voices and we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Like Nathan did an excellent job, satisfactory job, of listening to Julie's voice. We listen to the voice. But all of this surrendering to his lead and listening to his voice and obeying the new life, it's all bound up in one word, believe in the Bible. Believe means all of that. It doesn't mean what many Christians think it means. I believe in Jesus. That's not what it means. It involves surrender. It involves listening and obeying. That's how that works. Once you're born again, you do not want to rebel. That's not you. You are a child of God. Your will is the same as Jesus because he put his will in your heart to serve the Father in truth. That's what the gospel says. But the enemy simply deceives us saying, you want to sin. That's who you are. That's what will make you happy. But the gospel says that's not what will make you happy. The only thing that will make you happy, the gospel says, is pleasing your father, serving your father. Like Jesus says, all I want to do is the will of my father. And his heart is in you. The gospel says that, but we don't believe it because the enemy comes and he lies to us and says, you need this. You really want this. This is what will make you happy. And he makes it all shiny. And he makes it even feel true. Oh, I really want to get high. I really want that. I really need that. But it's all a lie. So what are we going to believe? The truth of Jesus in the gospel, that he's made you a child of God? Or the lie of Satan, that you still want to rebel? Are you going to believe that his name is in you? What do you believe about yourself? Do you really believe you're a child of God that desires God's will? That's what the gospel says you are. Or are we going to believe Satan and believe that I need control over my environment? I need things not to go bad in order to be happy. I need to be liked. I need to be praised. What do I need? Moment by moment, we answer this question, guys. We either say, I'm believing the gospel and what Jesus says he did for me, or I'm believing Satan and I'm lifting my eyes to other things, I'm pursuing other things. What we believe is shown moment by moment. I don't care what you answer now. All of you are going to say, I believe the gospel because you're in church. Okay? But what happens when you're bored this afternoon, what happens tonight when you're tempted, that's going to show what we believe. It does. Look at verse 22 in our text. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will put, be an enemy to your enemies and an adver- adversary to your adversaries. God's command is very clear for us and for Israel. Like in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, he said, While he was still speaking to him, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed him, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. He said in our text, Hear this guy. Obey his voice. Listen to him. He told the guys on the Mount Transfiguration, Listen to him. Hear Jesus. But who are we going to listen to? The enemy says, Oh, you need this to be happy. Who are we going to listen to? 
God said, listen to him. But who are we going to listen to? God's leading you and, and in guiding you. He has promised to do that. It already is promised to you. You don't have to beg God to lead you. How many times do we pray, oh Lord, lead me? He's like, who do you think I am? I'm just going to let you walk across the street and get run over like an ant? I care about it. I've already seen your whole life. I, know, I am going to lead you. That's not the issue. Are you going to listen to the gospel? Are you going to believe what I say about you? He fully wants you to be on his team. He's already chosen you. He drafted you. So listen to the coach. Okay, guys, being led by the Lord, and we're almost done. I know it's been long, but we're, being led by the Lord is a curious idea. He's not here right now that we can see, right? But back here in Israel, he showed up as an angel. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe wings, maybe fire. I don't know. Okay, but that's how Jesus showed up in that way to them. And they could see it. Ha, oh, that would be nice, right? If we had angels show up, that'd be cool. Okay, well, and then back on earth 2,000 years ago, he showed up as a, as a man in his, in his man, you know, he became a man. So that would have been nice. But being led by the Lord is weird because we're on earth today and he's not here in bodily form. All we have is the word of God. This is what he gives us. And he says it's the same thing. The same way that we can be led. His word to us. If you want to know what Jesus would say today, it's in the word. His spirit promised to illuminate our minds and hearts as we read the word of God dependently. In other words, if you will come with a humble heart and say, Lord, I need your leading and I want to hear your voice and you open up the word of God, God promises that he would speak to you. That's his promise. Okay, but you come, you, if you come in with a prideful heart and say, um, I'm just going to read this, put in my time. All right, now I'm going to get a million dollars. God says he'll, he's not going to speak to you. The word is going to seem dead to you. How many times do we read the Bible and it just seems dead? That's not God. God is holding it from us. He's keeping it back from us because he's waiting for us to come with that humble heart of dependence where when we read his spirit, if he speaks to you, that's your proof that the Holy Spirit is in you. And if you read the Bible time after time after time again and it's nothing to you, then you need to reassess who am I? What am I believing about myself? What am I believing about Jesus? Do I believe that he loves me? Or do I believe that I need to earn his love by reading a book? That's not how it works. He loves me first. And he says, I desire fellowship with you. So open the pages and let my Holy Spirit illuminate the words for you. This is like the greatest uh, test. They had touchstones back in the day. You guys know what touchstone is? TV company, right? No, it's, a, it's something, I don't know how they work, but you would touch it and it would reveal something like magic. I don't know how it worked, but 
when you read the Bible and the Spirit speaks to you, it's like the most wonderful confirmation that you are a child of God. Because the, the people who are not children of God, who don't believe in Jesus, who don't have a real trust relationship with him, they read the Bible and do not hear God's voice. That's sad. They could put as much effort as they want into reading the Bible and they're never going to hear God's voice because he can hide it. Our hearts can be blind to it, deaf to it. He will show us his direction in his way when we abide in his word. So, basically, I can tell you how much you believe. How much do you turn to the Bible when you need to make a decision? When you approach your day, I'm not asking how much you read the Bible. I'm asking how much does your heart turn to the words, the word, and hope and, and are confident it's for you. That's how much you believe. How much do I say, the word says this, and so that's what I'm going to stand upon. I failed much more than I've ever succeeded in doing this, uh, but my father, he's really patient with me, and I'm very grateful for that. He's forgiving, and he's willing to train us gently how to trust his word. Okay, we have one verse left. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the, uh, to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Jesus is the only way to have victory You know, the enemies we have are many, and they desire nothing except our ruin. They seek to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus, he's our safety. In Christ, we can have all we need. He will cut off our enemies, lead us through their minefields, and take us through the dark without harm, even when people are trying to trip you up. No temptation can stand in his presence. We don't have to figure out how to win all these battles, okay? You know, the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, they all represent some different thing that comes against us. We don't have to know how to fight each individual one. We just follow the voice of our leader, and that's our study for today. So would you guys all stand with me? We have one song that we're going to sing, and... and, uh, We've got communion right here. So this is if you believe in Jesus and you, you can openly come and connect with him and, and uh, eat the cracker, which he said to do to remember all that Jesus did for you, and drink the, the little cup of grape juice, which is like receiving Jesus' blood and, and believing it. And that's, um, that is just a, a thing that we do, but it, it's not magic in and of itself. It only matters, just like reading the Bible, it only matters when you believe that, it is, that Jesus himself was sufficient. If you believe the gospel, that Jesus loves you, that Jesus is sufficient for you, that's how this matters, and that's how it works. So I invite everyone who believes to come and take communion. And if you don't believe and you want to believe today, today's the perfect day to say, Jesus, I believe that you loved me and died on the cross. And you call out to him up by yourself and the Lord will hear you. You come up if you need strength and I will pray with you that prayer. You can find anyone in this room and we'll all pray with you. 
And then we'll rejoice that you've been set free and are born again as a child of God. Father, we, we worship you. We believe your word for us, that it is not us who does this ourselves, that we don't get ourselves into the promised land. We are led, we are kept by the strength of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.